Perhaps one thing that's most unique to any generation, but particularly in our scientific age, is the thought of time travel. Perhaps if you, like myself, have thought about the, just the concept of the ability to travel through time, if you could go anywhere, whether that be in history or into the future, where would you go and what would you see? As a young boy, I often thought about that and dreamed about that. And perhaps you're like me, have thought, if I had the ability to go anywhere, where would I go? What would I see? What would I experience? But I wonder if we don't think that more often than even we did maybe even as a child. If given the opportunity, uh, I'm sure many of us would travel in time to maybe to a younger self, to maybe give some older wisdom to. Wisdom that you perhaps have gained as you have grown through the mistakes you have made and the failures that you have endured. Perhaps there's things that you can think of in your mind now that if given the opportunity, you would change. Perhaps choices you made or mistakes that you made or perhaps there's regrets that you have foolish mistakes sinful choices regretful decisions we often think about these i think satan often encourages this kind of thinking for us to think about what if we could change this or that but i wonder what would you do if the lord told you that you are going to commit a sin tonight? What would you do to prepare yourself? What would you do to prevent yourself from falling to the sin that the Lord revealed to you? How, how, would, how would it determine the way you went about your afternoon if you knew at a particular time this evening you would sin against God, not in just a passive sort of minimal way, but in a big way? That you would deny the Lord. How would that shape your day? How would that change your thinking? What would you do? Friends, that is what we're going to think about in God's Word today. Because this is precisely what happened to Peter and the rest of the disciples. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I encourage you this morning, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, to grab one that's in front of you. Turn to page 851 in that Bible uh, and follow along with us. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, the large numbers are the chapter numbers and the small numbers are the verse numbers. And so we're going to be in large 14, small 27. So find verse 27 there. Now we'll back up to 26 because this is how the ESV broke it, but we considered this verse last week. But let's continue. In verse 26, Mark writes, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, 
and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Well, friends, as we consider uh, what is a staggering passage. As we consider that, I want to kind of put us in the landscape of where we are. And we've been walking through Mark 14, which is, the, is really the introduction to the passion narrative uh, of Jesus Christ. We're in that, the final days, and, and really at this point, we're in the final hours of Jesus' earthly ministry. We are just minutes from the cross at this point. In the, we are the night before here in the garden. This is where we are at. And as we've already considered and seen throughout this chapter, and I just want to remind you of this theme that that runs throughout this passage, is that of denial and betrayal. So beginning with Jesus' words at the beginning of 14, we see the Pharisees there are trying to destroy Jesus. And then we see Jesus then is anointed by this woman, a beautiful picture of faithfulness and and glorious picture of the gospel. And then what we see is Jesus' proclamation that, or or we're told by Mark first, that that Judas is going to betray Jesus. And so we begin to see this betrayal theme stretching throughout this passage. And as we work down through this, uh, during the supper, Jesus says, look, someone's going to betray me. One of my own's going to betray me. And then we see ten- today in this passage, we see his disciples are going to betray him. Not even, not, you know, not only Peter, uh, which I think the ESV is kind of misleading in its uh, little title there. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Well, Jesus actually said all of them are going to fall away. So it's not just Peter's denial. It's actually all of them are going to deny Jesus. And as we go throughout this passage, what we see is throughout this, this betrayal And denial of Jesus, not only the betrayal in verses 43 through 49 uh, of uh, the betrayal by by Judas. And then as we work our notice also, if we were to take verses 51 and 52 uh, to be Mark himself, which we'll consider, which is kind of a fun twist as we see a little naked guy running around. uh, Many believe that that's Mark, uh, Mark's little signature saying, hey, that was me. Um, Even Mark himself, the author of this gospel, ran away. He fled away that night. He himself also left Jesus. And then as we continue on and through verses as Jesus is before the Sanhedrin there and on trial before the high priest. And then following there, this last section of chapter 14, and then we see Peter is denying Jesus there. That little girl uh, scared Peter uh, into basically cursing himself and going crazy. Um, and so as we think about this passage, we want to understand that, that throughout this passage is this theme of denial, this theme of betrayal. And we have to understand rightly then that what is experienced by our Lord is for us. We don't want to miss the truth that this betrayal 
by Judas and the denial by the disciples was experienced by a man just like us. I mean, we know what it's like to be stabbed in the back by those closest to us. I mean, we, we, we have, it, it, you don't have to live long. I mean, toddlers experience this early in life. I mean, you have, I'm sure, experienced some form of betrayal or, or someone doing something to inflict pain, someone close to you. We also want to understand That this word that Jesus gives his disciples comes on the heels of what was probably the pinnacle of of their relationship with Jesus. I mean, last week we considered what is the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord. What we gather and celebrate every month as God's people, this this wonderful feast. And and, and they're singing hymns and and they're on this high and they're going out with Jesus. And along the way, Jesus says, you're all going to leave. You're all going to run away. This emotional high that you're on right now will be fleeting. It will not last. You will all fall away. Friends, what we want to understand, the reality is that this abandonment that Jesus faced wasn't only abandoned by Judas, Not only was Jesus abandoned by the disciples, but as we'll consider next week, Jesus was even abandoned by his Father. And Jesus' abandonment was so that you and I would not be abandoned by our Father in heaven. Jesus' abandonment in this passage is clearly pointing us to the reality that Christ was abandoned by those closest to Him so that He could display kindness and patience towards you by exposing your weaknesses. By exposing your sinful weaknesses and graciously promising you future restoration. Friends, there is great theology in this passage, much of which is unrepeatable by us in redemptive history, but yet there are some truths that I want to glean out of this passage about Jesus Christ. Really three things I want to sort of show you this morning in this passage. First, I want, to, I want you to notice Christ is kind to expose your sin. I want to show you that Christ is kind to expose your weaknesses. I want to show you, secondly, that Christ is patient with your indifference of sin. I want you to see that Christ is patient with our indifference towards our sin and our weaknesses, where we think that we're not really weak. Christ is patient with us to show us Our need for Him. And third and finally, I want to show you that Christ is gracious to restore you after sin. That Christ is gracious to restore you after sin. Let's begin by looking at the kindness of Christ. We're told by 
mark that Jesus and his disciples are on the road there to the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus, uh, as we know, will be the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will experience the wrath of God and begin to uh, experience the pain of suffering. And it's along the way that Jesus tells his disciples that, that they're all going to fall away. That, that every one of them will ultimately abandon. That, that this night is going to be unlike anything that they have ever experienced in their life. Satan is going to empty hell tonight. And the Father is going to pour upon the Son the wrath that all of humanity's sins deserve. This is going to be hell on earth. And they will not be able to stand. They will fall away. They will stumble and fail. And Jesus is telling them that, listen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And what we want to understand is that Jesus is trying and trying to expose in them their sin, particularly their weaknesses. Now, one of the things you want to understand is what does it mean to fall away? There could be great confusion with that. Uh, the word itself is uh, scandalizan, which, you know, it's a scandal, some sort of scandal. It's been used throughout Mark's gospel uh, to talk about sort of losing faith. But the context here tells us clearly, and as we consider later passages, we understand that the disciples didn't fall away eternally. It wasn't as if they lost their salvation that night. But what we understand is this sort of temporary falling away. That is, that they were... They, they had been led astray by their weaknesses. Their weaknesses, their, their fears had led them away, had weakened their faith. And so what we want to understand here, as one author wrote, this refers to a serious but temporary loss of faith. And so what I want you to understand is that what the, these disciples experience is something as Christians we also can experience. That when trials come, we too could have a temporary loss of faith, a, a sort of a stumbling, a falling down in the life of God's people. And so what Jesus is telling them is that, look, disciples, you won't be able to stand. The opposition will be too great. The, 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 the enemy is going to be great tonight, as we heard in Peter, the, the, the roaring lion is going to be let loose tonight and he will devour you. As Jesus said elsewhere to Peter, Satan sought to sift you like wheat. Satan wanted you, Peter. He wants to destroy you, Peter. Satan wants you, but I wouldn't let him have you. But it, it's best then to understand that their falling away is not a willful rebellion. It wasn't as if they willfully wanted to rebel. Now, now compare that in contrast to, to Judas, who willfully desired to rebel against Jesus. He willfully fell away. He had settled in his heart that he would rebel we want to understand that what is happening here is their own weaknesses and honestly their indifference toward Jesus' warnings. As we hear in Peter's words, I won't fall away. 
Jesus, you don't know me. I mean, in, in the words of Jesus, have I been with you this long? Right? I wonder if Peter quoted him those words. Jesus, have you been with me this long? Do you not know me? I'm Peter. Remember, you named me the rock. Like, I'm the rock. You named me Peter, which means rock. Like, that's my name. What do you mean I'm going to fall away? I'm like, the, the church is going to be built on, on my leadership. I'm going to be leading the church for your glory. What do you mean I'm going to fall away? Jesus said, friends, we understand clearly that Peter didn't understand his sin. In his pride, he was unwilling to see his weaknesses. He was unwilling to see this. And so we understand that though they thought they were strong, Jesus is telling them, no, you are weak. You will fall, fall away. Thus his exhortation in the garden to Peter and James and John, watch and pray. Watch and pray because the temptations will be great. find fascinating in this passage, you look at verse 27, is Jesus' connection to, to these words. Notice what he says in verse 27, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, if you look that up, you'll see that Jesus is quoting Zechariah 13, or if you have a Bible, you'll see it's footnoted, Zechariah 13, 7, uh, quoting there Zechariah's Prophecy, And I want you to notice, though, the emphasis in this passage is not so much on the striking of the shepherd, though that is very significant to the passage, but on the sheep being scattered. As Jesus is using this metaphor to illustrate what's going to happen to his disciples. Now, Jesus isn't just kind of proof texting. The, the, he didn't just sort of say, oh, I remember that passage in Zechariah. Oh, I'll use that and apply to this situation. No, that's not what he's doing. What he's saying is that not only is verse 7 of Zechariah 13 applicable to what's happening, but the whole chapter and the whole section of Zechariah and the ending of Zechariah. And so consider this, just this one point that Zechariah makes. Listen to how this might fit with it. So this is Zechariah 13.1, so just a few verses before what Jesus quotes. On that day, there will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. That is, God is going to do something uh, in order to bring about the restoration of the nation of Israel, the cleansing of the nation. He will cleanse them from sin. Zechariah prophesies of a day that is coming when the Lord will strike the good shepherd and as a result of that, that he will cut off this good shepherd from the people. And so what we understand then is what Jesus is saying is I am that one that Zechariah foretold would come and bring about this cleansing and bring about this restoration. The good shepherd, in this case, as we understand, that receives the judgment of God that the people deserve was Jesus himself. Or as Zechariah says in chapter 10 and verse, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12 and verse 10, that the Lord will pierce him. The Lord will pierce him. 
And then we understand clearly then when the Lord is pierced on the cross. It is a fulfillment of these words. Not only is Zechariah 13, 7 fulfilled, but, but the totality of all the prophecies that we find in Zechariah come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the one who will deliver God's people. But I want you to notice here something interesting that we could have gleaned over. But notice what he says. I will strike the shepherd. Now, in the context of Zechariah 13, it is the Lord sort of commanding the sword to go strike the shepherd. But here Jesus says, I, that is God the Father, will strike the shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd. There's rich theology here contained in Jesus' words from Zechariah 13. That God the Father is the one who will bring about the redemption of God's people. The Father will be the one who kills Jesus. That's the question we often ask ourselves. Who killed Jesus? Was it really Pilate and the Jews? No, it was God the Father and the Son willingly submitting to that. As we hear Jesus cry in the garden... Father, remove the cup from me. But not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. We understand then that this is God's will. That he will strike the shepherd and that the sheep will scatter. That God's sovereign purposes are being worked out in the life of Jesus Christ. And then we begin to understand clearly of the exclusivity of Christ. If this is the means by which God works salvation, if this is the oh, this is the means, then this is the only means. There's not sort of multiple roads to God to get to heaven. There's only one road and it's through this shepherd who was struck. As we think about this passage, friends, we we recognize that, you know, we love to hide we love to hide. If you've ever been around kids, you'll know and be reminded of this truth. Um, who doesn't love just a good game of hide-and-go-seek? I remember when I was a youth pastor, I mean, I could get some teenagers excited about hide-and-go-seek. You know, the teenagers that are too cool to do anything? You know, oh, man, they would play some hide-and-go-seek. I just encourage you, if you have some teenagers around, ask them if they want to play hide-and-go-seek. I guarantee you they will, right? Why? We love to hide. You ever played with the kid that never wants to be found? Yeah, that's really annoying, you know. Uh, maybe you were that kid, you know, you don't want to be found. You, you want to find the best place. You ever find that's boring, though? You find that really good place, but then nobody finds you, and you're, like, kind of left there, like, man, this is boring. You guys are awful at this. But friends, we do the same with God. We hide out. We find our places in life and we hide. It may be with friends and it may be alone, but we hide. We love to hide ourselves from God. This is what Peter is doing and the rest of the disciples. They're saying, no. You don't understand. I, I'm not weak. I'm strong. And we hide. Friends, the Bible tells us clearly that, that God won't leave you hidden. In His kindness, He exposes sin. 
he has spotlights that he loves to use on us and to shine on our hearts. We think we are good at keeping secrets. As Americans, we pride ourselves on our secrecy. And we devote billions of dollars, perhaps even trillions, to keeping secrets, which apparently we can't keep well, <laughs> but we try, nonetheless, to keep secrets. And friends, we know that we cannot keep secrets from God. The Bible tells us that his eyes see everything. He knows everything. And may that just be a comfort for you today. Maybe be a means of God's grace for you today. When tempted to sin, know that God sees you. No matter where you are, God's eye is upon you. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I just want to remind you of this warning that God's kindness to expose sin is temporary. There will come a day when judgment will be complete. The Bible regularly warns us of the dangers of falling into sin. All throughout the Bible there are regular exhortations Consider Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, a prideful spirit before a fall. We know well that passage, that pride cometh before a fall. And friends, that's why there's so many exhortations to watch and pray. Uh, Keep alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep, stay awake. And as Christians, we must not be so reactive towards sin. We must be. But friends, we must devote equal time to being proactive in our lives. We must sow deep in our souls the promises of God. You see, it's those promises of God that we can pull out, that the Spirit kind of pulls out from our hearts that we didn't even know was there. Maybe we remember when we were a young kid, we memorized some verse, and then the Spirit calls to remind us of these words in the midst of trial. You see that effort that went into memorizing Bible verses, God uses for future. It's no wonder the psalmist said, says, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's not some cute thing you say at vacation Bible school. That's something that is true. That if you want to fight sin, if you want to defeat sin, you've got to begin by kind of storing up an arsenal in our own country. Let me consider. Does our army wait until the war to get ready? No. They're constantly preparing themselves for some war that may or may not happen. And so it is with the Christian. We prepare for battle. Whether or not the battle is today or tomorrow or the next day, we know the battle will come. And so we give ourselves to the means of God's grace. We sow seeds deep into our souls, promises of God. We don't hide out from God. My friend, I just wonder, do you think that God is kind to expose your sin? Do you think God is kind when he exposes it? Are you thankful 
to God? Do you give thanksgiving to God when he exposes your sin? When, when you know you're kind of found out for the guy you really are or the gal you really are? Friend, don't be discouraged when God exposes your sin. But rather use that as a means to thanksgiving. Are you thankful when God exposes the idols of your hearts and displays them before the watching world for all to see? Be thankful, for it is God's kindness to expose your sin. Let's consider, secondly, Christ's patience with your indifference of sin. Christ's patience towards your indifference of sin. We see clearly in this passage as we work through this, as we see the disciples berating Jesus. No, you don't understand. You don't know me, Jesus. You, you don't get it, Jesus. I am strong. I, I'm not weak. I won't fall away. We see, G, we see Peter here, right? He was saying, like, I will die with you. Peter's not messing around, is he? I'm ready. I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. I'm ready to go to the cross with you. I'm ready. I hear it. And Jesus with uh, this somber word. Notice what Jesus says to Peter. This very night. Before the rooster crows twice. You won't just deny me one time, Peter. But three times. Before a little girl. Not before Roman centurions or before the great armies. Not before the high priest and all his little minions. No, before a little girl outside in around the fire. As you're warming yourself and comforting yourself, Peter, there in the midst of that, you will deny me. Full of pride, Peter resists. No, you don't get it. You, you don't get it, Jesus. I'm good. I got this. I, I heard it. I, I'm, I'm with you. And we can remember back throughout all of Mark's gospel, the regular times where the disciples just are fools. Where they stumble and fall. Friend, I want you to think, too, where Mark got this story from. He got it from the very man that is saying he won't deny. Peter is the one who told Mark the story. He's the one that said, Mark, I want to tell you about something that happened when I thought I was strong, but I was really weak. When I thought that I could stand against the trials and the onslaughts that Satan would bring. When I thought I was strong. Oh, there the Lord exposed me as weak. And it was his patience with me. Oh, he was so patient with me. He, he told me again and again that I would fall. He told all of us that, but I wouldn't listen to him. I had an indifference towards my sin. I wouldn't believe that I was weak. I was unconvinced of the fact of this. But what you want to understand, that this same man who was weak that night would be the man who would stand before governors and before princes and say, Jesus is Lord. This is the man who would die on a cross 
for his Savior. This is the one who would stand. This is the rock who would not fail. But what we want to understand is that Jesus here was abandoned so that we wouldn't be abandoned. The Lord is showing something of his care for us. That though we might today have an indifference of sin, Christ is gracious, he's patient with us. And I just wonder, is the Lord meant to contrast something he said to his disciples earlier? Remember the call, the discipleship that Jesus gave? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But what do we find them doing that night? Not denying themselves, but denying their Lord. Peter was convinced that he would never fall away. He was convinced that no matter the difficulty, no matter the trial, no matter the heartache, he would not fall away. But friends, the truth is that trial often tests our faith. Difficult times test our resolve to follow Christ. Consider our our brother Job. Satan thought that trial would cause Job to curse God. But it was a means in which God used for his own glory. Friends, what this passage illustrates for us is Peter's own blindness towards sin that pride had blinded. And that can blind our own hearts and lives. So why the author of Hebrews wrote to us, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any evil in you, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Friend, we must be busy about killing sin. We must not allow this sin to fester and and continue in our hearts. We must work hard to defeat sin. Let's move on to consider then our third and final point. As we consider the denial of Peter and the rest of the disciples, as we consider through this passage that, that on this fateful night they will all fall away, that, that what Jesus promises, what Jesus prophesies here in this passage, we could just look, you could just gaze your eyes over and turn the page to, to verse 66 and you could see it happen. You can even lurk at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Even Martha ran away naked. But I wonder in the midst of this exposure of their weaknesses, did you see the grace of God? Did you hear the grace in that passage? Jesus gave it to them. He gave them grace. Look with me again at verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You're going to fall away. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to be made a fool. Peter, you're going to be out crying your eyes out because you denied me. (laughs) But God, verse 28. But, there it is, that beautiful word that we cherish so much. But after I am raised, I will go before you, y'all, to Galilee. We're, we're getting back together again. You're going to fall. 
you're going to stumble, you're going to fail, but I'm going to pick you back up again. Peter denied the Lord. But Peter would go on, we've already indicated, to be a lion, to be a warrior for the cause of Christ. And in 1 Peter 5, he wrote these words, and I wonder if the, this betrayal and this word of grace was not in his mind when he wrote it. Listen to what he wrote, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you hear? After you suffer a little while, after you suffer and you fall a little while, the God of all grace, let me tell you about that God of all grace. Let me tell you about Him. Let me tell you about what He did for me on a shore in Galilee after I had denied Him. Once He was raised again, He brought me and He said, Peter, feed my sheep. The sheep that you scattered with, I'm, I'm giving you to be over those sheep. He will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And He will establish you. Friends, He does all of that in... I mean, you can't go past this John 21. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what Jesus says to Peter. This is after the resurrection. This is, this is a few days after. Jesus told, told him, go to Galilee, wait for me, I'll meet you there. Peter and his buddies, Peter and the rest of the disciples says, hey, let's go fishing. We ain't got nothing else to do. And where Jesus is, let's just go fishing. Let's go back to what we know, we know best. Let's go back to fishing. They're out there, they've been out all night, they can't catch anything. Jesus works a miracle. He comes and meets them in that. And while they were eating breakfast, in verse 15 of Mark or John 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. He knows it all. He knew Peter's heart. You know that I love you. Truly, I tell you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He was going to be killed to glorify God. But did you see that three times the Lord restored him after those three? He will, he will restore you. Jesus doesn't just little restore Peter. He fully restores Peter. He forgives him for everything. Friends, what I want you to understand is this is what the resurrection gives. This is the hope of the resurrection. He says, listen, after I'm raised, they're going to kill me. Do you hear it? But I'm not going to stay dead. This is the hope of the resurrection for you today. 
that your sin is not the end. Your stumble is not the end. Your face flat fall is not the end. That grace has been given in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have not fallen so far that the good shepherd will not pick you up. Friend, the deepest well of despair of sin is not too deep not to receive the rain of God's grace. The water of God's grace can pour in that well of despair. He can rescue you, though it feels that you are helpless. That is the point. That is the point. Brothers and sisters, may God's word be upon our hearts and in our minds as we face trials every day. And may you commit to memory these words of the Apostle Paul. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, trials, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, may we find our strength in Christ today. Amen. Let's pray. seed implanted that will bear fruit. Father, there are great trials that await us, difficulties and calamities, hardships that we can't even imagine, sorrows, tears into the future that wait for you. We know that. You've told us that. You've told us that in life we will face these difficulties. It is for your glory that we will face these trials. And it's for your glory that you expose our weakness to sin. We find it in your kindness to do this. We thank you this morning for your patience with us, your long suffering of our sin. You will not let us keep it in our sin, but you regularly by your grace. And I pray this morning that if anyone is here that is living in darkness, that they would bring their sin to light, that they would not leave hidden any longer, but they would confess it freely to their brothers in Christ, that they would cry it out before you, that they would not listen to Satan any longer, that sin harbored leads to death. Oh, Father, expose our sin, bring it to light, and lead before our eyes. May it be affixed in our eyes forever, for all of eternity, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of glory, this we have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to us as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among us since the day we heard it, since the day we heard it and believed and understood and trusted the grace of Christ. Father, we give you glory now in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we conclude our time this morning.